Psalm 1 and Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And from Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Thanks, Bella. All right, hands up if the name Sovereign Hill means anything to you. Anyone? Okay, cool. We've got some, some Melbourne locals. So Sovereign Hill is like a Australian Gold Rush themed amusement park in Ballarat, just outside Melbourne, that those of us who grew up in Melbourne almost definitely went to on a school excursion at some point. Maybe if you grew up somewhere else around Australia, there's a similar place near you. At Sovereign Hill, you can do things like pretend to go to school in the olden days and get made to stand in the corner. You can learn to weave or to whittle. You can watch like a demonstration of a blacksmith, that kind of thing. But the highlights of every child's trip to Sovereign Hill is the gold panning. Maybe if you've been, you remember this. You get this large pan handed to you and you go to this creek with all the other kids and you, you pick up handfuls of gravel from the creek bed and put them in the pan and then toss water through the pan until you're left with flecks of gold at the bottom of the pan. It's very exciting when you're eight years old. You take them home in this little bottle, you put them on the shelf by your bed, you think you're rich. The thing is though, of course, right, for the tourists to be able to keep finding gold in this creek, there's some 17-year-old employee standing just upstream, out of sight, kind of putting gold in the water like fish food so that there keeps being enough in the creek and what you take home is actually completely worthless. But it's a lot of fun when you're a kid. And what we're thinking about tonight as we continue in our series, Faith for Exiles, is what does it look like to be a generation of followers of Jesus, to be, to lead a church for the next 50 years, that have the kind of faith and lives following Christ that, that are shown up like gold among the gravel. Among all the, the kind of promises and philosophies and values and faiths around us in our world, what might it look like for the Christian church that we belong to and lead for the next 50 years to shine out like gold from among the gravel? Well, we're in the second week of our five-week series, Faith for Exiles. We're exploring the common traits of resilient young disciples of Jesus from around the world. 
This is from a study of 18 to 35-year-olds who have been part of a church from 26 nations, identifying the things which resilient disciples from among them have in common. Here's those five things. Maybe you remember these from last week if you're with us. So these are the five things that young followers of Jesus from 26 nations around the world, according to this extensive survey, share. Intimacy with Jesus, cultural discernment, countercultural mission, vocational discipleship, and meaningful relationships. So we're exploring these traits together across these five weeks, and today we're at our second trait, thinking about cultural discernment. As we dug into the study last week, one of the things that really stands out is that resilient disciples are a minority group among young people who have been in a church in Australia. Prodigals have walked away from Jesus. Nomads haven't explicitly abandoned faith but are no longer part of a church community and don't live out Christian ethics. Habitual churchgoers attend church, maybe attend some other stuff, but they show little or no ethical or behavioural difference from the prodigals and the nomads. And resilient disciples are genuinely transformed followers of Jesus whose lives and values stand out from those around them and who endure in faith. In Australia, 8% of young people who have at one stage been part of church are resilient disciples. There is a desperate need for people like us to develop the kind of discipleship, the kind of walk with Jesus, which will transform us and equip us for transformed life in our world. So the question that we're grappling with tonight, the question to help us think about this trait of cultural discernment is this. Where do we find real, livable wisdom in an accelerated, complex culture? That's a little bit wordy. Where do we find real, livable wisdom in a complex, accelerated culture? This is the question of cultural discernment. This is a question to help us understand that trait of resilient disciples. It's a question, how do I understand the world around me? How do I understand what I see in the media, the way people talk to me, what my culture values and likes and dislikes And how do I find wisdom to live well in that world as a follower of Jesus? So let's let's explore the actual question for a bit before we kind of turn and think about what the answers are uh, that we find in Scripture and in this study, Faith for Exiles, as well. It's an important question, right, because we all want wisdom to live by. At a very basic level, we all want to live well. Every person in every time and place wants that, to live well. But for us, in our kind of digital, physical, hybrid world that we live in, there's a new challenge to find that wisdom that no generation before us has navigated. Young people are looking to their devices to make sense of the world around them. 
We know this is true in our own experience and that of our friends. Screens offer us to be our counsellors, to be our connection to others, to be our entertainers, to be our instructors, to be our sex educators. They give us access to more information than anybody before us has ever had access to. And we get it instantly. And that's why we need to live wise lives and an accelerated culture. Everything happens fast in our culture. You don't need to go home and look up a dictionary to figure out a word that you don't understand. You don't need to wait for tomorrow's newspaper to find out what's happening in Ukraine. You can do those things instantly, in real time, right? Our culture is accelerated and that's a difficult landscape to navigate. It's accelerated and it's complex. It's complex because we have access to to endless information. But access to information does not equal wisdom. Access to information does not equal wisdom. Do you know what Google's mission is? Google's mission is to organise the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful all the information in the world, accessible to everyone. But is that good? With access to all the information in the world, how do we know who to turn to for advice? How do we know which YouTuber should be our role model, right? How do we know which news outlet to trust? How do we know who to listen to? High information and low wisdom leads to anxiety, leads to paralysis. Finding answers to life's big questions on our own with our devices instead of together. Because see, despite having access to all the information in the world, three out of five young adults, remember this is across 26 nations, they say that they are stressed out. Seven out of ten are concerned about the future. People are plagued by uncertainty about what to do in their lives and the decisions that they make. So where do we find real wisdom? I like gardening. And I have access to millions of blogs, video tutorials, online workshops, forums to find out anything that I could possibly imagine to find out about gardening. But do you know where I learned the most about gardening? When I got not just information but actual wisdom for gardening, it was with my grandfather as a kid spending hours in the garden with him, watching him, hearing him, learning from him. Access to information does not equal wisdom. But in this digital Babylon that we live, we're too distracted to seek wisdom. Do you remember digital Babylon, if you are here with us last week? So this is the way that Faith for Exiles pictures the world that we live in as 18 to 35s, at this hybrid digital physical landscape. It's hyper-connected, it's incredibly fast-moving, it's more diverse than any other culture has ever been, And it's a culture which is not neutral. 
It's not morally neutral. Faith for Exiles calls this digital world Babylon because, like the Babylon which took God's old covenant people into exile, digital Babylon actively and constantly tries to colonise us, to overwhelm us, to take over our lives, to monetize us, to disciple us. And most people in digital Babylon are so dazzled by their devices that they're not looking for real wisdom in the right places. We're so distracted by our devices that we're not finding the wisdom we need because we're too busy binging Bridgerton or making TikTok videos or mainlining free porn straight into our prefrontal cortexes. And this isn't just a Western problem, right? Though maybe it's a problem that goes out from Western culture around the world today. Those stats, this study, they're global stats. It's a global study. And because smartphones are universal in every culture, the challenges of digital Babylon are universal challenges. Internet access has brought the world together in countless good ways. And web access has also, interestingly, made young people around the world a lot more like each other. You and a young person from another culture are much more like each other than your parents and their parents were. Right, lots of us in the room read manga, listen to K-pop, watch American movies, buy our clothes online from the UK, whatever the things are that we do, right? We're incredibly connected to people and culture across the world. Digital Babylon has conquered the world. For us here at UniChurch, there are lots of us here from China, from Malaysia, from Singapore, other countries in Asia, as well as further across the world. If that's you, please, please keep hearing and, and considering how what we're talking about lands for you, how your experience of your culture shapes what digital Babylon looks like for you. Some of the dynamics might be a little bit different than some of what I described, but just because you're not Western doesn't mean you're not living in this world. So for this world, for this digital Babylon, where do we find real, livable wisdom in our complex, accelerated culture? Let's think about free porn, right, as a case study for this question. Back in the day, viewing porn required quite a lot of active, deliberate subterfuge to get that in your hands. Pre-internet days, right, you would have to go and buy a magazine from a shop or get it from someone else or rent a video. There was a lot of planning required. But now, it's in your pocket, a couple of clicks away, anytime, anywhere. It's totally anonymous. You don't have to look the shopkeeper in the eye as you buy it. You can access it in the briefest moment. So porn's an accepted part of life in digital Babylon. Teenagers today say that not recycling is morally worse than watching porn. That's how universal it is. And so we need a different kind of discipleship to navigate that problem in this world, right? The things that you would do as a Christian in the 90s to avoid porn will not work now. 
and it, it, there's nothing particularly special about porn as an example. I'm just using that as a case study, right? Using tech wisely in all kinds of ways is uncharted territory for Christian discipleship because of how quickly tech has accelerated and developed. The way that digital Babylon shapes our relationships, the way we use our time, shapes our sleep and our health, shapes our mental health, shapes our body image, shapes our expectations for life. Everything, right, is, is viewed through the filter of this digital world that we live in. We need real, livable wisdom in this complex, accelerated culture. Where can we get it? For life in exile, we need a, a deep discipleship. We need a discipleship that will build thriving and resilient disciples amid the challenges and complexities of that hostile culture. Here's what the research of Faith for Exiles kind of draws out. For resilient disciples, young believers need to develop the ability to compare the beliefs, values, customs and creations of the world we live in to those of the world we belong to, the Kingdom of God. And once we've made that comparison to anchor our lives, including our use of technology, to the theological, moral and ethical norms of God's kingdom. Do you got what that's saying? It's saying we live here, but we don't belong here. As followers of Jesus, this world is not our home. Just like those Israelites in Babylon, like the early church in the Roman Empire, so we here in digital Babylon, we live as foreigners. Our home is the kingdom of God. And we'll see that it's God's word and God's people that anchor our lives in that kingdom reality. God's word and God's people are the places that we find real livable wisdom in a complex, accelerated culture. Let's explore those two things then. If we've kind of unpacked the question a bit, here are the two answers. God's word and God's people. We need God's word shaping us. Remember last week we explored the trait of intimacy with Jesus as that first marker of resilient discipleship. One of the central ways that we do that, that we develop intimacy with Jesus, is by hearing him speak through scripture to us, building our lives, our worldviews, our, our ethics on scripture. 87% of resilient disciples say that reading the Bible makes them feel closer to God. 86% agree that the Bible teaching they receive at church is relevant to their life. 100% of them say that the Bible is the inspired word of God and contains truth about the world. As we keep seeing, the, what the research draws out in Faith for Exiles is consistent with what we know to be true theologically. Of course, the Bible brings us closer to God, is, is relevant to our lives, contains truth about the world. So let's open up for a moment to the first of those two passages that Bella read for us, Psalm 1. Hopefully you've got a new sheet there with it in front of you or a Bible with you. 
It's a really short psalm with so much goodness packed into it. It's the first couple of verses. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So rather than living in line with the wicked, walking, standing, sitting with them, instead of participating with the wicked, or as as Romans 12 might put it, conforming to the patterns of the world, someone calls those people blessed whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Which, which just means scripture, means the Bible, and who meditates on his law day and night. So instead of participating with the wicked, instead of conforming to the patterns of the world, we delight in the law of the Lord and we're transformed by him. This is a call to immerse ourselves in scripture, to have it shape us and mould us in an ongoing day-to-day way. Verse 3, that person, it says, is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Delighting in God's word actually changes us, actually sinks our roots down deep by the water, bears fruit in us, provides real, livable wisdom for our accelerated, complex culture. God's word makes us bear fruit. The depths of wisdom in the Bible are as deep as the ocean. There is no way that we could possibly plumb the depths of the wisdom of God's word. There have been countless PhDs and world-class minds for 2,000 years studying this document and we continue to find more and more depths of wisdom and richness and life in those pages. Looking at the wisdom in the Bible is like looking at the stars. It's so far beyond the capacity of your mind to hold that that you can only wonder at it. Charles Spurgeon said, no one ever outgrows the scriptures. The book widens and deepens with our years. A.W. Tozer said, the Bible is not only a book which was once spoken, but a book which is now speaking. God is always speaking to us through his word, the Bible. To Timothy, promises that scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. It's useful for every good work. As Proverbs declares, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, where do we find real, livable wisdom for life in a complex, accelerated culture? Well, first, we find it in God's Word. If that feels far from your experience of God's Word then let this research, let these global statistics shock you into action. Without going to God's word for wisdom to live well, you will not endure as a resilient disciple. 
we find real and livable wisdom in God's word. And second, we find real and livable wisdom in God's people. Here's how those resilient disciples describe their experience of church. Seven out of ten say that they receive wisdom for how to live faithfully in a secular world. About half say that they receive wisdom for living wisely in a pluralistic culture, which just means with people who believe differently to me. About half say they receive wisdom from church for living wisely in terms of sex, sexuality and technology. About the same number, wisdom for managing finances. Now those numbers, they show that there's certainly still room for improvement, right? But they are much higher than the equivalent numbers among the prodigals and the nomads and the habitual churchgoers. And that's crucial, right? It's significant that the sense of being equipped for life by God's word and from church is higher among resilient disciples than among habitual churchgoers because both go to church. Both sit in the room. So while, while kind of upfront and top-down structures of church, the teaching of church is important, it's not enough on its own. Remember we saw that last week. Being in the room is not enough for resilient discipleship. Faith for Exiles shows that nine out of ten habitual churchgoers believe that Jesus defeated sin and death yet they have a dropout rate of 64%. That stat shows us, like we saw last week, that agreeing that Jesus died and rose and showing up to church each week has a 36% chance of keeping you walking with Jesus until the end. Involvement is not enough. As we saw last week, we need intimacy with Jesus. And we need God's people more than just going to church. We need to move beyond involvement at church to deep belonging and discipleship alongside one another. Here's how the authors of Faith for Exiles put that challenge. Resilient disciples take part in robust learning communities. That is, they learn how to think in company with other Christians who are learning how to think. This leads to an important conclusion from the research. As exiles in digital Babylon, disciples need a richer, more resilient life of the mind. Here's how the Bible puts that same need. From Hebrews 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We hold unswervingly to a gospel hope like a ship pointing straight at the oncoming waves as we spur one another on, as we meet together, as we sink our lives deep 
together for encouragement, for resilience, for endurance. We need to be a learning community of faith together, us, if we are going to endure as disciples of Jesus. Right, not just a thing you come to and listen to a preacher talk for half an hour, but a whole community encouraging one another, spurring one another on, sharpening one another, helping each other to live wisely. Now, this is exactly the vision of our small groups, right, and lots of our life together at Uni Church. We meet together in small groups every week around food, we open God's Word. We share vulnerably and pray for one another. Small groups are not uh, like a book club or a study group or a social event. But they're a deeply significant community of learning and fellowship. As Christian Union is, prayer triplets, other structures of mutual encouragement, discipleship that you might be part of. So let me encourage you tonight, like we did earlier in our service. If you're not in a small group, get in one. There's one clear action point from what we're learning tonight. Contact me tonight on Messenger or talk to me after service. Talk to someone else and ask if they're in a group and if you could join theirs with them. And if you are already in a small group, as we regather this week for the first time this semester then see that for what it is and treat it as what it is. It's not a social event, it's not a book club, it's a robust learning community of faith, mutual discipleship for life in a complex and accelerated culture. So commit to it. Go to it every week. Share vulnerably at prayer time. Encourage others there. Lead a Bible study. Surround yourself with God's people as that robust learning community so that we might together be thriving and resilient disciples of Jesus. Well, at the, at the end of Jesus' most famous speech, his Sermon on the Mount, he finishes with a story. He's just laid out his vision for life in God's kingdom. Life which finds its home in the world to come but lives in this world. It's a radically countercultural vision for life. It's a totally new way to be human. Jesus' vision for life in the Sermon on the Mount is one that reaches deep into our being. It's an inside-out renewal. No longer external conforming to norms around us, but transformed hearts oriented towards God and his plans and purposes for us. Jesus' vision for life that day is one of the most influential ethical teachings in the history of the world. And as he comes to its end, he says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. 
yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. We are all looking for real, livable wisdom in our accelerated, complex culture. We are looking for that rock upon which to build our houses. And we live in a time that no one has lived in before, where it's hard to find the place to sink those foundations. There are new challenges to Christian faith. Christians have always been exiles in this world. They've always faced challenges. Us, in our time, we're facing a new challenge, that the pressure of digital Babylon, an empire in your smartphone, which urges you to build your house upon it. Digital Babylon will offer you the world. Literally, right? All the information in the world in your pocket. But it's a world that crumbles. It's a world which collapses under the weight of its own expectation. The boxer, Mike Tyson, once said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. I like that. We all have a plan, right? We all have a vision for life. We all have a place we go to to find wisdom. But when we face the storms of life, when the rain falls and the streams rise and the wind blows, when we get punched in the face, the wisdom which digital Babylon wants you to live by, it doesn't stand up. It will not endure. That house will crumble. Digital Babylon promises the world, but it doesn't deliver. And we see this, right? We see this around us, in ourselves, in people, and in the whole culture and generation around us. Our generation has the best access to resources ever, but the worst mental health. The most agency, the most ability to affect the world around us ever and growing despair about the future of the world. The most opportunity ever for connection with anyone, yet a crisis of loneliness. Build your foundation on the shifting sand of digital Babylon and it will come down. Building your house on the sand is bad news. But that bad news is good news for followers of Jesus. Because we don't build our house on that sand. We build it on the rock. When the rain comes down, the streams come up and the wind blows, that's when the foundations are shown to be true. Cultural crisis, the kind of meltdown that we see feels like it's just rising around us in culture. That is 
fertile ground for the gospel to shine out. And when everything is going well, the fragility of that worldview is hidden. Right? It's like keeping your energy up by eating more and more sugar. But when the rain falls, fragile worldviews are exposed. When the punches come, that's when the fighter is found out for who they really are. So be expectant. Wait for the rain to fall on digital Babylon. Don't panic at the the culture wars, the the seeming marginalisation of the church in our culture. But, But pray and prepare for the refining and the renewing of a church which will be positioned by God to speak into that decaying culture and offer an ancient and truly livable wisdom in walking with Jesus. I like the prophets of the Old Testament who showed a corrupt nation what God actually desired for them. Like John the Baptist living out in the wilderness, a strange and countercultural critique of the dominant culture, but one that people flocked to as they were convicted of sin, the futility of sinful living, and came to find forgiveness and a new way to live for God. Or, like Christ himself, who preached and lived out the kingdom of God and turned the world upside down. So what does it actually look like then? What does it actually look like to be part of that enduring church, to be part of that prophetic voice speaking to our culture? What does it look like to stand strong on the rock while the houses on sand around us crumble? Well, first, it means trusting in Jesus alone for salvation. Believing his gospel of salvation for sinners through his own death and resurrection. If you haven't done that, that is the first step to building your house on the rock. That is the first step to sinking your foundations in Jesus, finding life in him. And beyond that, As we've seen tonight, we sink foundations deep into God's word and God's people. Delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on his word day and night. And do it with God's people. The final sermon in our series a few weeks from now will explore the role of meaningful relationships for resilient discipleship. So we'll talk more about that then. You, you can find real, livable wisdom in this accelerated, complex culture. You can find it in Jesus. We're going to sing to him now, and then we're going to have speak, like Beck said, after we sing. So why not share a way when we come to speak that God has helped you to navigate life in the accelerated, complex culture we live in? Or maybe you could ask a question to help us keep exploring what this might look like for us. But why don't I pray and then we'll sing. Jesus, we pray that we would build our lives on you. 
Thank you that in you we can find real, livable wisdom for our lives. We pray that we would endure as resilient disciples for every day of our lives. Amen.